Magalhaes to Stokes, who's onside. Wagner. Here's Sims. It's a good serve this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it. Just a minute to play. That's stoppage time. Here's Letizia. Hello, hello and welcome to the Saints FC podcast. Um, This is episode 113 and opposite me, or at least opposite me on my computer, I have Mr Tom Parker. Tom, how are you? We're socially distancing by quite some way, John, are we? I'm good. How are things? (laughs) Yeah, by a matter of months. Yes, Um, many months. Many, many months. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, things are okay. We've probably got a lot to catch up on, Tom, haven't we? I mean, the listeners are probably thinking, blimey, where's this come from? These guys haven't recorded an episode since all the way back in, I don't even know when it was, early this year. You're probably thinking things have got to be really good or really bad. Yeah. <laughs> so all those Saints fans, that their only way of finding out how Saints get on is through the Saints of Sioux podcast. <laughs> Well, the good news is, listener, we're top of the league. <laughs> Unbeaten. Uh, yes. Yeah. I don't know, Tom. I, I don't even know why we stopped before. I think I just got really bored of Saints losing all the time. Yeah. I, I, it's funny. you may, I was thinking this. Um, so I was at a wedding um, for the Brighton game. And I... I looked and it was like 97 minutes. It was slams on one and I played as 10 men. And then I was like, right, that's that job done. Get another glass of booze. Discuss the one all draw with Brighton now. And I was like apoplectic with rage. And I thought to myself, John, is there a more frustrating team in the Premier League to support than Southampton? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, yeah. Well, I mean, what can we say about it? I, I got so fed up at the end of last season with the way Saints were playing, they just sort of coasted out, didn't they? I mean, basically from the moment that Ralph collapsed to his knees after the victory against Liverpool and we were nearly... Yeah, January. And I think we were nearly top of the table at the time. And then we just sort of coasted out the rest of the season. It was a a tough watch, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I I think if 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 the metric is... You know, what, what's most frustrating, I guess, what's tangible that's frustrating is losing points from winning positions, isn't it? You know, that's that's like a tangible measure of the footballing measure of the human emotion of frustration. And we are, we're top on that. We're storming the, uh, storming the league in that one. So maybe we are the most frustrating team in the Premier League. Yeah, and uh, I think I know in football, calendar years aren't normally something that you measure or talk about, really. But it has basically been since January that we've been dreadful. So 2021 has, you know, is it the worst footballing year for Southampton? I mean, we didn't ma- we managed to not get relegated because we were so far ahead from our 2020 performance. But 2021 has been dreadful for Southampton. We've won hardly any games. We've conceded more goals than any other Premier League team in that time. Um, it's just been bad, hasn't it? And, and we set a record for most away goals conceded. 
yeah in this seat last over the last year um there's still two away games to come two difficult away games to come yeah it's it's been a it's been a year to forget and i i don't know what to make like i still don't know what to make of ralph i think yeah, there's just so much to unpick isn't there there, there really is. I mean, we've also skipped our end of season awards show, which we last season, that. I don't know. I've, I've forgotten who played well last season. It's so long ago now. We've not done our season preview, although that would be easier to do it now, wouldn't it? Yeah. We'd, we'd have the first half of the season pretty much nailed down and all of our predictions and all of that. I mean, do you remember your, your predictions, Tom, what they were at the start of the season? Because, I mean, this might be quite a good gauge for what we do in this podcast, because I, I don't think we could just kind of go and look at the Arsenal game. People are going to expect us to talk more generally about Saints here, aren't they? I think so, because I think... There's so, I also think, you know, it's not just the Arsenal game, isn't it? It's the Brighton game. It's the Norwich game. I'm not so worried about the Liverpool game, to be frank. But, like, it's, it's kind of all the others, isn't it, that you, you look at and you go... You know, what's going wrong? I think we'd maybe be better served by looking at like the the macro picture. Mm. But in terms of predictions, I mean, you pre- I mean predictions for this year coming, this season we're in now. Yeah. The season, I mean, I, I my my overall thought was that we'd be we'd do pretty well because I actually thought for the first time in years we'd bought well. We'd like actually had a bigger, better squad. But Ralph makes some strange decisions and um, I almost feel like that bigger squad is being squandered and I think also we've got a bigger squad on paper but I think sadly and I don't think this is Ralph's fault I think this is an ownership fault like we've got a lot of players who just shouldn't be there that just aren't good enough so you can have a bigger squad all you like I mean you can add me and you to the squad John you can add Albert to the squad but at the end of the day we're not good enough and like you know, we've got too many players that aren't Premier League quality that we carry as a team. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, the, the squad is concerning. We'll, we'll get onto the players. I mean, go, just going back through my predictions, say at, in August, I wasn't feeling confident at all. I was sort of looking at what Sheffield United did. They had that really good start to their first season back in the Premier League. Then they sort of started tailing off, tailing off. And I think, do you remember the start of last season? I predicted them to go down and then they did Did, because of their form. And I think kind of what Saints were doing towards the end of last season was exactly what Sheffield United uh, were doing. And we have been better than Sheffield United in the first half of this season than they were last season, but not loads better. And we've continued that dreadful form. But I'm just having a look at, because I actually wrote out my predictions, planning on doing a prediction show and then never getting around to doing it. But I had our end of season position as 18th. Ooh. Which is Ooh, not that, that's that's, really, that's championship. Yeah, that is championship. So I was in it. I think this is probably why I wasn't doing the podcast. I've probably felt like, do I want to bring all this doom on on our listeners, yeah. Tom? Eighteenth. I mean, that's punchy mm. in, the, in a league that contains Norwich. Um, do you want to see who I have my bottom three? Yeah, go on. Norwich, Watford, and Southampton. In that order. Yeah. Doesn't feel impossible now does it john i really hope i'm wrong tom i put who's who will be our cult hero sam allardyce 
Oh, uh, did she? Yeah. No, but did you have a top goal scorer, player of the year? Uh, top goal scorer, I had Che Adams with six. That's my prediction. What's the in the Premier League now? Yeah, something Watford. like that. Um, yeah. I put Salisu to be our player of the season. It's not probably a good pick right now. And I thought player to look out for, Tino Livramento. It wasn't bad there, was it? And that was good. I think, unfortunately, a lot of other clubs are going to be looking out for him. Yeah, especially if um, we get relegated, which I hope we don't. Yeah. So where do you want to start with this? Where do you begin to unpick this unholy mess that is Southampton Football Club? Well, I mean, should we talk about, like, should we talk about some of the good... Talk yeah. about what Saints have done good and well and the little glimmers of hope. So we'll, we'll create some optimism for those listening <laughs> and then then we'll unpick that. And, um, and then I think we probably need to have a chat about Ralph at the end, whether yeah. his time is up or not. And I might just ask you to pick a stool and then present your argument to me, Tom. Yeah, I will do. Okay. I've, you know, I've, I'm, the times are changing. Yeah, I think I could argue either way. So whichever one you go for, I'll, I'll, I'll do the <laughs> counter-arguer. So, I mean, let's talk about the good stuff, right? So, Tino Livramento, that is good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, probably, what, what are we thinking? The arguably the most obviously talented player we've had since, teenage player we've had since Bale. Would you say? Yeah, I mean, he's Probably very young and very talented, isn't he? More so than even Walcott, because Walcott, like, it's always it's. I think it's more difficult for forwards, isn't it? Yeah. But like Livermento, I can't remember seeing an eighteen-year-old play for Southampton that looks like the complete finished, not fit the almost well, the finished package. To be honest, for a lot of clubs he would walk into a lot of Premier League teams. Um, he's got everything, hasn't he? Like, he's just clearly a, a, you know, a footballer wise beyond his years, and I think we're lucky to have him. Um, yeah, he's undoubtedly the, the the standout performer and highlight of this season. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to regularly remind myself that he's a teenager, because he doesn't play like he's a teenager, does he? Doesn't look like a team. I mean, when I was nineteen, I bumped off and started at Nottingham University. And he's, you know, these these kids, they, you know, Broja, they look like like thirty year olds. I mean, how, how old is Broja? Broja's like twenty one. Is he? Yeah. I mean, he looks like a fully grown man, doesn't Giant. he? Yeah, but I, I think with with Livermento, like Livermento, kind of sums up the t- the good and the bad of everything, doesn't he? Really, because it's the ability to get a player like that is good. The ability to to spot the talent and to think and to be able to sell the club, and the ability of you know for him to think the manager is someone he can learn from, is is good. Um, that's all positive, and that that you know reflects really well on Saints. But then you also, it encourages bad behaviours because now we force Walker Peters into a team mm. playing a position. And, and like, Walker Peters has played very well at left back. Fundamentally, he's not a left back. And, you know, so like with all the, we're saying this at the moment, we're like some sort of like weird Greek myth where like every, we can have some good stuff, but we have to give you some terrible things. Yeah, everything has to have a counterbalance. Yeah. But, but positive. Antimatter. Yeah, Libramento is an is a machine, and 
you know, if he stays injury free, then God knows what the kid's going to do. Yeah, I mean, it, it is remarkable, isn't it? Because like our, our standout player and our best signing of the season has come in and replaced probably our player of the season from last year. Yeah. Which, which is really remarkable, isn't it? Um, so, but, 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 you know, why, why, why did we not find the Livramento type signing for, I don't know, the forward position or the central midfield position or? Well, I, if you, I mean, I think part of the challenge as well is Livramento is so good that he's, made us almost change what we do a little bit and and i think you know he's so good at right back and what a lot of fans have been clamoring for and i can understand this completely is would have been walker peters at right back and whilst your armstrong is injured move livramento further forward yeah um, and obviously ralph knows much more than us about football and sees these players week in week out and day and out and he doesn't think that's going to fly but like i think we could argue that that side was always so important for us with Stuart Armstrong and we've kind of we've we've halved it you know in terms of talent because let's face it everyone we've put in there has been not as good yeah I mean when was the last time we won without Stuart Armstrong in the side have have all our victories this season come with him when he's been fit horrible point Uh, this season I don't know he's played so little hasn't he to be honest I'd be surprised. We've only won three games. Um, but I think... I think he was uh, present for those three games. Yeah. Which then I mean, gives you the, the um, awkward thing of saying, well, can we win without Stuart Armstrong? Well, I think Stuart, what Stuart Armstrong brings Saints is he's probably the only player we've got who doesn't completely, like, panic in the final third of the pitch. Mm. Um, but anyway, we'll talk about that. But, but leave Romento. What yeah. a signing. What a player, what a future. Okay, other, other good things. First halves, generally. I'm not allowing it. I'm not allowing it. Is it? <laughs> you can't have it because they don't mean anything. You know, like... But you, you, you know what? When, when we start a game, like every Saturday, you sort of sit down to watch Saints or whatever. The first kind of like 5, 10, 15 minutes, you're like, whoa, yeah, we're really getting into them. You know, Ralph set up the team really well. The opposition can't handle us. We're flying into tackles. The press is working. We're creating chances. Quite often we're scoring in the first few minutes. If, you know, if Jay Adams isn't sort of hitting it directly at the keeper or... But, you know, we, we've started off these games really well. And there's been quite a few first halves where we've either gone in equal or, you know, one goal up mm. should have already been three or four nil up. And with perhaps Danny Ings on the side, you would have been a few more goals up. So they're, they're doing something right there. But then there's the issue of being profligate and then not being able to maintain that level or opposition managers figuring out what Ralph has set them up with in the first half and then doing something to counter it in the second half that we have no answer to. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there. I think the profligacy is is absolutely one of the most infuriating things about Saints is, um, are, you know, we flatter to deceive so much. I mean, if you look at Adam Armstrong, I think about two or three games ago before he got injured, Adam Armstrong had had the third most shots in the Premier League, I think mm. was the stat, but was the 44th best goal scorer. And 
has a kind of shoot on site approach, which is great. You know, that guard against Villa is brilliant, but like we're just so, and he's kind of endemic of it. And I think Shea is the same in terms of Shea's seemingly like inverse football where he can score worldies, but not score simple goals. I mean, his goal uh, against Watford was incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like something, you know, like you'd, you'd see like Neymar do or something. But like, but then you in the same game he misses from a yard out, yeah. like you know, when, like and you just think like, what's and what that means is like when we miss those chances, you know, every game is more difficult. Like you know, you and I were at the Leicester game and we come out of the block second half really well. It's 2-1, I think. Uh, was it 2-1? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was yeah, two, time. Yeah. And then we're all over them. Ward Prowse wins the ball back. Crosses for Nathan Teller. All right, he's about the same height as me. He's the shortest man on the pitch. But, like, he's also about four yards out in front of the goal, and he puts it wide. All of a sudden, that game's 3-1. But it's not. It's 2-1. And Saints, the problem is it's all linked, isn't it? It's the profligacy. It's linked to a lack of mental strength. There is, a, you know, there is clearly a lack of leadership, despite Romeo and Ward Prowse. We think they're captains. There's clearly a lack of of discipline and mental strength. And no doubt we'll talk about. That. I think the the ultimate example of that is that we'll talk about is the Brighton game. But I think there's a lack of. We're a very young team, and I think it shows. And. You know, we, there was lots of talk in the summer about us going for someone like Gary Cahill, and a lot of Saints fans were like, "No, he won't be able to do a job for us." But at the end of the day, the guy's won stuff, and he, he's a leader. And I think we lack a leader on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you'd have him in there, wouldn't you? Probably instead of Bednarek, just organising at the back. Yeah, well, Bednarek's not been the same since the Man United game. No, yeah, you know, he's not been the same, and. I think the problem with our, you know, we got rid of Vestergaard, which was probably the right manoeuvre, but apart from Silisu, you know, if you look at our two centre-backs, and I don't think we've really seen enough of Lianco to make a real positive, you know, either way judgment, but like Stevens, who I love, has weaknesses, and Benarek has a lot of weaknesses. For an international centre-back that's played in major tournaments, mm. yeah, he's, 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 too, he's too soft, and I think yeah, we've got a soft centre, haven't we, ultimately? Yeah, we, we have. I mean, the leadership is, um, yeah, a really, really good point. We definitely lack leaders. And the, there's, there's no way that there are teams that have natural-born leaders that just wouldn't throw away the points that, that we throw away. I mean, the points lost from winning positions is incredible. Um, but I, think, I think now probably is a good time to talk about the Saints-Brighton game and what happened there and that mental strength and lack of leadership. I mean, so it, it seems from the news that's been released from the club is that Alex McCarthy had an injury. Um, the bench knew that he had an injury, but they didn't realise how bad it was. Alex McCarthy is not telling the bench, although seemingly he has told James Will Prowse because James Will Prowse is back on the goal line trying to cover Alex McCarthy because he can't dive. But then James Will-Prowse is the captain. Surely he should be getting that news to the bench. I mean, what, why are James Will-Prowse and Alex McCarthy conspiring to not give the managing team the information that they need to make the right decision? Yeah, but this is part of the, the Ralph conundrum, isn't it? Because you, you can argue about Ralph back and forth, but ultimately like players are making crazy decisions for Southampton. Like They are making consistently the wrong choice 
You know, you wonder though, but our in-game management under Ralph has generally always been awful. You know, I think you can like pick out a few games where Ralph has ever actually changed things or done the right thing, like Man United this season. You know, we're one 0 up at half time, but no, um, and then you know he changes it to five at the back, like that. Where you're actually watching, he goes, ah, you know what? He's seen what's happening. He's changed it. And all right, we only drew that game one all, but I think we probably would have lost it had we not changed what we were doing. But like. Our in-game management is awful. And again, I wonder like how much of this is a weak spine. Like, I don't think I think Alex McCarthy is a is probably a very good number two goalkeeper, which is interesting because that's what he was pretty much most of his career. Yeah. You know, let's not forget he was bought to say to be the number two goalkeeper behind Forster. And I think part of it is like this soft center, but it's not a soft center, is it? It's a soft line that runs down the centre of the pitch because um, I don't think the team has confidence in Warproud in um, in McCarthy no yeah, he just, just don't look to keep a clean sheet no no it's it's weird isn't it because I think kind of like at the start of last season we kept lots of clean yeah, sheets and people were talking about us keeping clean sheets um you know, again, at the start of this season, we we were looked sort of defensively better. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, well, not all of a sudden, but, you know, but the, McCarthy's weaknesses have come back to haunt us. And I, I agree. He's a he's a good number two. Um, I don't think he is Premier League quality to be the number one goalkeeper. Um, we know Fraser Forster has been in the past, but maybe it's arguable whether he is at the moment but you know that's an issue Bednarek's an issue um, Ward Prowse and Romeo hasn't quite been working the same way as it has in previous seasons in the games that Diallo has come in he's not looked as good as he did when he first came to Saints um, and then we're not banging in the chances that we're getting so all in all it's quite frustrating Tom isn't it yeah I mean I think and I think a lot of this stuff was always there. I think what you're seeing now is when you don't have a goal scorer like Danny Ings, who, you know, you and I saw Danny Ings score a lot of high goals you'd expect Danny Ings to score. Yeah. You know, one-on-ones, yeah. near post headers. But, like, if you look back at his goals, like, a lot of them aren't. Their goals, like, I mean, his XG was probably, I hate to say it, like, you know, it was probably ridiculous on a lot of those chances. And I think the difference is, is, like, with, with a player like Ings, like, I don't know if you remember the goal he scored against Watford during the lockdown where, you know, he like, took it past one player and then shot surprisingly from past Foster from the edge of the area. Yeah. And, you know, we don't, the problem is like those sort that player was masking a lot because he was getting us, he was almost getting us further in front where maybe the team had more confidence and had more spirit. Whereas now we're edgy all the time, aren't we? The, the, the team is riddled with fear and, you know, it's just all, it's like a perfect storm for us at the moment. Just nothing, you know, we've gone from having like a pretty damn good start to the season to then playing Norwich and then everything appearing terrible and now looking like we're in free fall with our next two games being really, really difficult games. It's, it's problematic, isn't it? I mean, I just had a quick look at the Danny Ings XG stats, Tom, and... Um... 
you know, the two full seasons he had with Saints, his XG, he, he outperformed his XG, as in he's finished more chances than you'd expect him to from the positions that he got in for a Premier League quality striker. Chadham's, on the other hand, um, is not has not performed outperformed his XG, although he is about right for this season. He's uh, less than one over, so... Yeah, he's scoring the chances you'd expect him to this season, which is interesting, but I suppose that's because he's scored a couple of worldies and then missed a few sitters. Mm-hmm. So they balance themselves out. And Adam Armstrong is not scoring as many as you would expect him to from the positions that he's getting into. So, you know, that that is, again, that's a difference, isn't it? Um, and I was very concerned towards the end of last season because of Saints form and everything. Then we sold Danny Ings, and that was the reason why I made the 18th position prediction. Just because I, I, I thought kind of Danny Ings, certainly in the second half of last season, rele- relegation was never really a f- threat last season, but I thought he was the difference between second half of last season Saints being a relegation fodder side and us not being a relegation fodder side. Um, and this season, I think we're just in for a really really tough time I mean Burnley they're going to pick up more points aren't they Newcastle have got a massive checkbook to throw around in January um you know Watford Norwich we're in amongst it I think yeah and and I was just looking at our next four games and um we've got Spurs West Ham you know Palace Brentford I mean I the weird thing about Saints is they could go and win the next two games against Palace and Brentford. We are weird, and I, you know, we do have this kind of tendency to we're very streaky, aren't we? Mm. Uh, uh, but I, my worry is is like it's not actually unrealistic that we lose the next four Premier League games, um, and if we do that, we'll have lost five on the bounce and lost what seven of six of eight, I think it is. Yeah probably a bit more so like so it, it just it, all of a sudden it's it's a lot of pressure and I think teams know isn't, isn't that when Saints normally turn things over it's when we haven't won for eight games and then that's normally the the switching point isn't it do you remember Ronald Koeman had that awful run where we didn't win yeah, for eight the, games the cost we beat the, Arsenal 4-0 yeah but I, yeah but John I think the part of the problem is is like do we really think and we'll, we'll, you know, do we really think we've got the players? And do we, you know, if you, I think we have got some really good players. I think in Livermento, in a, in a fit Ward Prowse, Redmond, you know, Redmond's playing really well. Uh, Salisu, Armstrong, Stewart. But like, I don't think the problem is, is like, you, our two forwards are not Premier League forwards, are they? No. And then who, who else we expect to score well, goals? I mean, I think both of them could, you know, they, they can have a Premier League career, but not as the main talisman. They're supporting artists, aren't they? Yeah, you know, it's sort of like your Brett Ormerod to your James Beattie. You know, I yeah. Brett Ormerod was never a Premier League striker, but put Ormerod and Beattie together and we had a couple of really good seasons, you know, with them firing together. And it's that sort of thing, isn't it? Che Adams and Adam Armstrong are more of the... Yeah, the support act to the main event. I mean, I think they just bought Adam Armstrong because he looks remarkably similar to Danny Ings in the way he sort of like runs and moves about the pitch, but it just doesn't finish as well as Danny Ings, does he? 
No, and I, and I think that my concern is like is Shay Adams is an incredibly streaky striker. You know, we are now what like halfway through the season, are we? Nearly halfway. Not quite. Fifteen got, games, I think we've played sixteen games. Armstrong's got two goals. You know, like we we don't. The problem is, is like we don't. We can't. We don't have other players in the team to carry non-scoring strikers. Yeah. Like historically, like Saints have been pretty awful apart from War Powers of scoring from midfield. Romeo scores well, once a season, if that, probably less on average. You know, Redmond doesn't hit the back of the net as well as, well as he's playing. Armstrong will. Armstrong might get you four or five in the season, but who else have we got? You know, Shane Long is and we can talk about players at the club, um, who are you know, we'll talk about We've we've expanded our squad size, but I don't think we've necessarily made it it stronger. It almost flatters to deceive. And mm. the sad thing I think is, you know, it's like Walcott. He just doesn't, you know, he's a shadow of his former self. Um, and and I think we've we've almost expanded the squad. You know, we brought in Broja, but you, Broja can't carry that team. He's a kid, um, as good as he looks, and I. I my worry is, is that we just don't have the goals to get us out of this situation. And the irony is, is like we could have gone and bought like a, a, a Shefki Puki, you know, like from Norwich. Yeah, and I think we'd actually be in a better position than we are now, you know, and because at least he knows where the back of the net is. Whereas our current striker is just a. I'm, I'm yeah. putting all these names into the XG charts. Remarkably, I mean, Puki basically scores the chances you'd, you'd expect him to. So his XG is basically where you'd expect it. Walcott below his XG, so he's not scoring as many goals as you'd expect him to. Redmond, the same, apart from a couple of seasons. He generally underperforms by a goal or two. You know, that seems to be like, you know, what we do. We just get all these players that don't score all the chances that, that you need them to or you'd expect them to, and therefore you have to create loads of chances to win. And, you know, we, I guess we can't afford the players that outperform their XG regularly. No, we, we, we can't. I mean, we're in a... And this, is, this leads us to another point which we have to discuss, which is, you know, someone put online the, the starting line-up against, um, against Liverpool and how much it cost. Yeah, that was me, Tom. Is that you, John? Yeah. But, you know, like, we... To be realistic, like there's, you know, you can be Ralph in and Ralph out, and I know I'm sort of veering all over the place, and I don't. And now's not the right moment to talk about Ralph in or Ralph out. But also, like one argument is like, God, man, look at how much money we spent. It's a miracle we're still even there. Yeah, I mean, I I think I worked out that basically that that Liverpool starting eleven cost five times the amount of the Southampton starting eleven, and in fact, the Southampton starting eleven I think came to seventy six million pounds, which is basically what. Liverpool paid us for Van Dyke alone. And um, I sort of put this to my mate. He's, I've got a really good friend. He's a scouser, supports Liverpool. And um, he was like, you know, he's like, oh, but comparatively, compared to the other big teams at the top, we haven't even spent that much. So you know, there's, there's definitely a general widening of the gap in the Premier League, isn't there? Yeah, I, I think if we go back five years ago, six years ago, you would... It felt like things were a bit more even across the division. 
Yes. Or am I just kind of looking back with sort of rose tinted glasses? No, I think you're right. But I also think like, I, I think what's amazed uh, was amazing is like we signed also like but also we were able to sign better players for less money. So we were signing players like Mane for the same price as we were paying for Adam Armstrong. Yeah. You know, and we're signing Van Dyke for what we signed Salisi for. Now Salisi, I don't doubt, will go on to be a really, really good footballer. Uh, but very few players are going to reach the heights of Virgil van Dijk even for Southampton you know he was a colossus and I don't I think everyone's kind of caught up with Saints and when I say everyone I mean like the footballing world yeah and I think that we've just with Gao and Lieber we've just stood still and through graft and through a bit of luck and through Danny Ings and you know we've, we've been able to to maintain our place in the league. But realistically, you know, we, we sign, we have this thing of like, of just signing. I think the problem is, is we're signing too many speculative players and we're being found out. And I, I put like Adam Armstrong in that bracket because he is a very good goal scorer at championship level, but he is a speculative Premier League buy. Shad mm. um, Adams is the same in the third season. That, you know, he's never... He's so streaky that it's almost untrue. Um, you, you know, we've got too many players that are that, that, that are untested at that level. And then when we do sign a player that is at that level, like a Perot, for example, like the best left back in France last year, you know, in you know France front team of the year, he can't get a sniff. Or then when we have a young player come through that looks like dynamic and effective like Teller, he doesn't get near the team. And, and you just wonder what's happening there. Well, I mean, also the other thing is, do you remember when Diallo first came into the side? And how good he looked, how tidy, he was breaking up play, he was driving the ball forward, he was creating, you know, attacks from midfield. And just, I don't know, the times I've seen Diallo on the pitch this season, he's just... I don't know, he's a passenger. Like, he does some things well, he does some things not so well. But he's not like, wow, who's this guy? But John, and, do you and not also, Livramento, his, his form's dipping a little bit the last few games. Funny. I mean, come on, he's been the most fouled player in, in Europe. Yeah. Like, right, he's getting clattered. Like, we watched something against Leicester. They just hit him, you know, every time. Like, every time they can leave... The teams are leaving the like they're not getting booked and they're not getting sent off against him because they're being clever they're just wiping him out and he's knackered and he needs to be taken out of the team the problem is he won't but like and you know but, I don't, but, I don't but you could give him a rest couldn't you because we know Carl Walker Peters can do a job at right back and we know Perro should be able to do a job at left back and, and surely that's the whole point of having a bigger better squad yeah and I, I, I find some of the decisions really puzzling and I think part of the problem as well is that we're so rigid and I think Ralph is for all his like you know gang pressing and heavy metal football he's actually a very conservative manager who and I think part of the conservatism is, is and I love Romeo I think Romeo is brilliant but like do you need to play Romeo at home in midfield against Burnley or against you know at home against one of the more relegation-threatened teams, could you not put Diallo in, who's going to give you some of that pressing and some of that breaking of the ball, but also 
be able to bring the ball forward faster and beat a man and, you know, get that ball faster up the pitch, which is kind of what we rely on. And I think, you know, we have this kind of inherent conservatism with two not very mobile centre midfielders, let's not forget. Um, and, and it really, I think it just stifles us. What I think is quite concerning here, Tom, is the the number of players whose level has quite considerably dropped over a long period of time now. So, um, Romeo, if you think back to this time last year, was incredible. I, th- I you know, he was playing so well. Um, he was moving the ball quickly. He was passing it. You know, you know moving it on really, really quickly. If he was picking up the ball in the centre of midfield, he was getting it up to our forwards really quickly. He was beating players, he was breaking up play, and he looked fantastic. And it was the best we'd ever seen Romeo playing. And you're thinking, wow, Ralph is a genius. Look how he's got Romeo playing. He's always been able to do the basics well, but maybe hasn't shown that next level up. And he started to show it at that time. But now, he's not at that level. Yeah, He's still doing the Romeo things well, which we all love him for, but he's not at the same level he was 12 months ago. James mm-hmm. Ward-Prowse is not at the same level he, he was last season. Uh, Bednarek, we've already discussed, is uh, quite a bit below where he was. I think McCarthy's level has dropped as well. Um, Redmond wasn't particularly great last season, actually. I think he's looked quite good this season. Agree. Um, you know, Walcott's fading. And I think the others are sort of harder to... So, but you know, that's quite a few of our first 11 who are just not performing individually at that level. The team isn't performing at the same level, though they do sometimes for the first kind of half or you know, parts of the first half. So, I mean, my, my question, Tom, is that are the players still playing for the manager? Do the players still back Ralph? Um, well, a lot of them owe their positions at the club to him. You know, and I think this is one of the, if we were to do a kind of mock trial of Ralph Hasenhutl, this is one of the, the more damning elements now, which is that he no longer has inherited someone else's team. You know, this is his players, uh, by and large, or, or, or if they're not his players, he's had enough time to ship these players out and get new ones in. Um, and, and whether they're playing for them or not, I still think they run around a lot and I still think they show a lot of energy and they show a lot of commitment. But I just think, you know, what do you do, right? If you're Ralph and you bring on Theo Walcott when we're losing at Norwich and Theo Walcott misses a free header with no player within two yards of him from six yards out in the middle of the goal. Like Ralph can't do anything about that. No, true. But... You know, Ralph is the man who decided to give Walcott probably what is maybe our second highest paid player, well, probably third now because of Wal Prowse, but like, you know, give him that, that contract. When you could argue that Walcott's, Walcott has no race left to run. He has nowhere left to develop. And he's, if anything, he's just stifled Nathan Teller, who actually looks promising and, and looks like a player who could be the full, one of the future of the football club. And, you know, I, I, so much here, isn't there? But, like, one of the things that really struck me against Leicester, and maybe it's just where we sat, but, my God, the atmosphere was awful. And I know it was terrible weather. I know it's midweek, and I know the game was on Prime Video, so anyone could watch it. But, like, I don't think that the fans are excited by the players. 
Yeah. And maybe having it, you know, like it just, I don't, I think, I think as well, like part of it is that a lot of people in the UK, Sam's fans included, have had a really difficult time of it. And if we're going to go and spend the money to go and watch Saints and it's not cheap, if the players don't look up, they're performing their best, then it's, it really does get on people's goat. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, to, to get behind. I mean, I, I thought the Leicester game, we actually played pretty well and there's quite a lot to cheer <laughs> the, the Saints team throughout that, although obviously we threw away the lead twice. Um, uh, but yeah, the, I mean, there's been a lot of... Uh, the one against Arsenal was abject, I thought, really. As soon as Arsenal scored, it was over. Yeah. And it's also one of the frustrations as well, sort of similarly to, you know, the, the games against the good sides like Liverpool or Chelsea or, or whatever. Um, you know, whilst we've actually played really well against Man City and Chelsea this season, the Liverpool game, when they get a goal so easily, you know how hard the goals are to come by for Southampton. So you never really feel like we've got any chance of getting back into it just because it takes so much for us to get a goal. Um, I mean, it won't surprise you just looking at the XG tables that the only team who are performing as badly in XG in terms of like un, you know, not scoring the chances they should is is Norwich. And we both mm. should have scored six more goals this season than we have. Um, that would give us five more points this season than we should have. But then interestingly, the two teams that we've got coming up next, Brentford and Crystal Palace, although they are 10th and 12th in the table, they also should have five and a half more points than they do if they scored their chances better. So both of those games, we're probably going to see lots of missed chances if we take the XG form to go by. Yeah. And then I, mean, I, I, I think the XG one is interesting in this argument about Ralph because the tactics, the setup, the formation, sort of, is that what brings you the high expected goals and then the performance of the players or the profligacy of the strikers is, you know, that's just, that's something that the manager can't impact or is it something that the manager can impact? My, my view on it, and this is, you know, again, the trial of Ralph Hasmi or this is in the defence, you know, which is that Ralph, like, what does he do? Like, if he gets all these players do, playing the right way and gets them in the right positions and then Shea Adams misses from two yards out, then that's on Shea Adams, isn't it? Mm. You know, if he's got them working a system, um, you know, learning drills, exploiting weaknesses in the opposition to get players in goal-scoring positions and they don't score, then it that's, then it's on the players. But, I mean, can you do something with that in training? Can you hire a coach that just will coach finishing of really simple chances and just drill Chadams and Adam Armstrong? I mean, with Adam Armstrong, you might be drilling him to look for the better option rather than shooting. But with Chadams, you might be just saying, you know, we're going to teach you how to score from inside the six-yard box. But, but isn't it a mental thing here? Well, like, and then in which case, the, the mental issues, which there are many... At Southampton, um, isn't that something you can work on as well? I mean, Glenn Hoddle famously did it with the England side back in um, you know, 1998, and then some of the players said they didn't like that. But he, you know, he was sort of like the early purveyor of working on the mental side of things. And I, I think, yeah, you know, we can see football players are confidence. It's a confident sport. So, what can we do with that? I mean. 
surely those things can be coached as well. You think so? And I, 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 I mean, I, so, so let's let's have a look at the Leicester game, for example, Tom. We scored two goals from set pieces, and Ralph said it was really good to have a set piece coach working with them. So, you know, there's there's things that other people can bring to the club if he gets the right backroom staff. Surely, whether that's mentally shooting practice, whatever it is. Yeah, I completely agree. I think one of the most frustrating things is, is, is there's a number of frustrating things, and these but these have to sit with the club. We're terrible at throw-ins still. Really bad at throw-ins. I think we rely. I think James will. I think like if I. What do I think we're doing wrong? Lots. What well, off the top of my head? Like we're really bad at throw-ins. We rely too much on James Will Prowse for corners. Like. James Ward-Prowse, I don't think, is actually... His corners are that good. Um, I think, you know, we scored twice from corners this season. I think one was from the Teller cross, which we we took it one of the vice prize, and one was from a Redmond cross from a corner. Yeah. From yeah. Uh, but, like, but then still, you know, we seem to be, like, slavishly devoted to James Ward-Prowse running up, putting one arm in the air, and giving it a good old, like, free kick into the box. Um we don't seem to mix things up a lot. And when we do, it works, but, but we still go back to it. And I, yeah, I, I think, I don't know what he can do, Ralph, about uh, some of this stuff, but, but ultimately like, it's going to be the manager that carries the can. But um, we just seem to be riven with problems. And I think there seems to be, part of the problem is that some of them seem to be, as a fan, they seem to be sort of so obvious and so in front of you but then they never get, they don't get fixed. Like the throw-ins, like the corners, like Bednarek, <laughs> you know, like the, like the goalkeeper. Like it's obvious, you know, coming into this season that like that McCarthy has too many moments of madness to be a proper Premier League goalkeeper, particularly a Premier League goalkeeper that can see as many chances at, like Saints. Um, but there he is, you know, getting a new contract. Yeah, the team, you know, like Harry Lewis, like a 23-year-old goalkeeper that we've got so little confidence in that we sign a bloke who hasn't played in a year, a 40-year-old who hasn't played in a year to come in and, and train with the team for four days. To you know, if you're Harry Lewis, you're like, what's the point of me being here? What's it going to? Literally, there's nothing that can happen that's going to get Harry Lewis on that pitch because even an injured Alex McCarthy won't let Harry Lewis go on the pitch, and then an injured Forster and an injured McCarthy. And Harry Lewis still doesn't get on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're Harry Lewis, you're probably considering your options at the moment. And, and rightly so, yeah. I mean, Willie Caballero did look like he hadn't played for a year. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't great against Arsenal, was he? I mean, it's, it's sort of remarkable, really, that we managed to find a keeper worse than our current crop. But there we go. Um so well, let let's let's put. Are you going to put the arguments with Tom? What are you, are you for Ralph staying, or are you? Is it time to go for Ralph? Is it time for uh, him to stay, or are you going to sit on the fence? I I I'm Schrodinger's Ralph fan, where I believe in two completely different things at once. I believe that he's done a. I think he's done a really good job when you consider he's had no backing. Like, he's he's never been able to improve the team, has he? He's always just about kept the team as they were, really. 
Um, and I think he's to be applauded for that. I think he's tried to give the club an identity. I think he, he's tried to give the club a way of playing and a, and a way of approaching the game of football that is to be applauded. Um, and I think he's done absolutely the very best in, in the circumstances that have been presented to him. And to be honest, I know he always says, I love it, I love it, I love it. But he probably just would wish for the sweet release of, you know, uh, an up-and-coming German team. or You know what I mean? Or a Serie A team to come in and just get him out of there. So everyone, everyone, and I, I think this is part of the problem is that the club is clearly in a state of flux. You know, if the if the athletic is right, there are people interested in buying Saints, but they're not going to buy us until they know our Premier League future is secure. We're sort now, of in, not, in the Newcastle situation, right? Yeah, but, yeah, but Newcastle is a different proposition because you're buying Newcastle, right? And there's no big teams within travelling distance of Newcastle. You know, so like people born in Newcastle, I think support Newcastle. There's a, people, there's no big teams near Southampton, really. Yeah, but the, the London the London gravitational pull mm. is such that you know the London teams will draw upon what should be Saints fan base. Saints have, you know, like Newcastle if they do well and they buy players can build that ground up to sixty seventy thousand people and they'll sell it out every week. Um, Saints can't we have a ceiling and I you know so no one's going to get rid of Ralph and they're not going to pull the trigger on Ralph or they're not going to do anything the club is going to remain in this kind of zombie like state of zero investment um, until someone decides to buy it no one's going to buy it until our Premier League status is secure you fire Ralph the new owner who thinks he's going to sell the club is not going to fire... No, the, the current owners are not going to fire Ralph in a million years because it's going to cost too much money to get rid of. So that looks really bad on the balance sheet. So you won't sell it. So, you, so, you know, so instead, the club will sleepwalk, possibly towards getting relegated. Um, and then, you know, it's a much less marketable asset. Uh, and it's going to make less money, so we'll have to run an even tighter ship. So, where am I on Ralph in or out? Like, I'm Ralph in because I don't believe you're going to get anyone in who's going to do any better. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Say, so I think a couple of weeks ago I was asked the same question. I, I gave three reasons why I thought Ralph was still worth keeping over. One was not aware of anyone else who would take the job who'd be any better. Two, his his overall win percentage over his Saints managerial career is about 35%. Um, compare that to some recent managers, Mark Hughes, 18.5%. Mauricio Pellegrino, 23.5%. So much, much better than those two. Mm. Um and then he's sort of not much worse than Claude Puel, who was 37, Pochettino 38, 39%. So, you know, and Ronald Koeman, 48% win ratio, Nigel Atkins, 54%, but, you know, different kettle of fish, isn't it? Yeah. So so the, the statistics overall look good, although the last year has been dreadful. And I think the Ralph out argument largely is sort of based on at the moment we're rotting and we're slipping and we're sliding towards the championship and people are desperate to see a change in the hope that we 
steer the ship away from the championship, which is the sort of general direction that it's heading in at the moment. Um, Interesting, looking at this list of Southampton managers, Ralph is our longest serving Saints manager since Chris Nichol left in 1991. Yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know what to that's make quite of that. remarkable, isn't it? I mean, he's he's had more games than Nigel Adkins, more games than George Burney, more games than Strachan, Dave Jones, more games than Ian Bramford. Can you believe Ian Bramford lasted 128 games? It was a time of media, great mediocrity, John. Yeah, but even you know, even Bramford was nearly 30 percent win ratio. I mean, put some leagues ahead of Hughes and Pellegrino. Yeah, I mean, I, but what do you think is the, I mean, the, the, the Ralph Enigma, and this is why it is sort of fascinating, is we're, I think we're so close to, get, he's so close, isn't he, to getting it right? Does, is he not? Well, I, I think that's the thing is, you know, some of the best football that we've played in our Premier League era has, has actually been under Ralph. I think probably, I don't know, since Claude Puel, I mean, our best performances have definitely been under Ralph. He's outperformed. Probably the, the, the good performances from Ralph Hasenhuttle football have been better than than most of them since since Ronald Koeman, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, and I think sort of those who are still in the Ralph in camp are sort of clinging on to this time last year where we were flying high and looking really good and playing really scintillating, attractive, fun to watch, fast-paced and ultimately quite successful football. Yeah, but that's why it's frustrating, isn't it? It's because it, it seems to be so close to a winning formula. But, you know, and it is fascinating to watch. And when it's when it works, it's so good, isn't it? Like, it's so sexy and exciting and exhilarating. But I think part of the problem is, is you do need a plan B. And again, like if I was to go like the case against Ralph Hassan, it's the lack of plan B. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, I the, he, he needs a new way of playing for when we have a lead. Don't we? I mean, we, yes. we, we can't, <laughs> we just can't continue to throw away leads, you know, like that all the time. Um, and what was it, 78 points we've dropped since he's been manager? 15 more than any other Premier League yeah. club during that period of time? Yeah. It's something like, I mean, I know it was, I think it was 71 a week or two back, but it'll be about 78 now or whatever it is. But I, I don't know. It, like, it, it's, it's a real enigma because I don't think you get anyone better. I think you'll get like a short-term opportunist. Um. And I, I probably think, like, in all honesty, like Gow and Lieber aren't even really interested in getting someone better. They just focus on selling the club. Mm. Do you want to hear who the top five are with the bookies? Go on. Alan Pardew. The American bloke Leipzig have just sacked. Is he there? No. Oh. Uh, Alan Pardew's favourite. Yeah. Five to one. Frank Lampard, six to one. Mark Hughes, eight to one. Sam Allardyce, eight to one. Steve Cooper, eight to one. I think that just shows how unimaginative people who gamble are, really. I actually wouldn't be averse to that, to be frank. No. Yeah, so you, you wouldn't be averse to Steve Cooper, then? Well, no, look. I mean, you've just named 
a list of five managers, four of which are physically repellent, um, <laughs> and like and would lead to probably fans burning down the ground. Um, so Steve Cooper, you know, that's like saying, "Would you like to have like one of your fingers chopped off or an arm chopped off?" I'll take a finger, but I still don't want my finger chopped off. I mean, I. I, think, I mean, Marion Parhas is in here as well, Tom. Thirty-three to one, about eleventh or twelfth. This is odds checker. Compiled by like a YTS boy. Or no, something. I like, think I think it basically compiles all of the um, betting the bet. companies. Yeah. And Parhas, yeah, I mean, look, I think, I think none of those managers that seem right. I mean, look, Lampard is so obviously just looking for a stepping stone. It's almost like embarrassing, isn't it? Um, but but a stepping stone to where? Well, that's what I mean. Where do you think he's going? So were you thinking of Jesse Marsh? The American guy, yeah. He's meant to be quite good, but I mean, he's just been done over, sat by Leipzig. But yeah. I, I think, look, I think I think it's all a moot point because I just, I don't know. Like, we've lost 9-0 under Ralph twice. We've had the worst year of, Premier League football for, you know, that apart from the true horror clubs have had statistically, you know, the, the derbies and Swindons of this world that the most teams are ever going to have. And they've not sacked him. They're not going to sack him. Not in a million years. He has to walk. But managers nowadays, John, they don't walk because why would you, I mean, would you walk with that much money on the table? Well, no, I mean, obviously the whole kind of managerial um contract is always set up to you know your payout is sort of pre-agreed isn't it like when you get sacked you'll get this much money and it's sort of it's sort of preordained how much money you'll get and and you have to get sacked to get that money so i don't think you know ralph obviously wouldn't walk because he'd miss out on whatever payout he's agreed yeah and why should he walk no, no, well, he, he probably won't. I mean, th- this is where I struggle with the whole... I don't think things are working under Ralph, and I think there's a multitude of issues at the moment. I think some of them are brought on by him. I think the I think biggest he, issue is with the ownership and the lack of investment in the squad, the fact that we sold uh, one of our very few sort of Premier League stars. Even... The, I know people will argue that £30 million was a good amount of money for a player in the last year of his contract. Ultimately... We've brought in thirty million pounds. We spent fifteen million on Adam Armstrong, so you're leaving yourself with a fifteen million pound profit, which looks very foolish if next year you miss out on one hundred fifty million pounds from the Premier League telly money. Mm. It's a big gamble, I think the ownership took, and I don't think they fully understood how reliant we were on him, or maybe they overestimated how good or the transition that Adam Armstrong was going to make from the Championship to the Premier League. But players don't, do they, John? I mean, like, historically, this is one of the things that drives me mad about... I mean, Mitrovic, but, he's he's the proper... I mean, look at him... <laughs> world-class Championship, hopeless Premier League. But there's, you know, the, the, there's a load of them, isn't there? Like Michael Ricketts... Um, there are a lot... I can't remember, there's like, like <laughs> Just players, Michael there's, Ricketts. There's, there's loads in there. They've, like, players, yeah, but they've become increasingly fewer yeah. over time because, you know, they because teams have become wise that it just doesn't really work. And like what what Saints should have done is 
they should have kept Danny Ings, who would have probably played like a professional and bought Adam Armstrong. Instead, like, you know, you've got Shea Adams and Adam Armstrong, who probably wake up every morning realising they're responsible for scoring the goals for keeping Sons a football club in the Premier League. Because no one else is going to do it. Like, Walcott might not even score a Premier League goal all season. Shane Long won't, probably won't either. Um, the way it's going, Redmond won't. So, no one else is scoring those goals. I, I just... It, it, it scares me a little bit. Yeah. Oh. And then on the argument for getting rid of Ralph, Tom, would just someone else... Even though all the players have been bought for a particular set of tactics, could someone else just get in there and provide the morale boost or the team talks or the rocket up the backside enough just to get us enough points to stay in the Premier League this season? Like a firefighter. Um, Very possibly. The problem is I think those sorts of managers look increasingly out of touch, don't they, with the modern... I hate to say the modern game, but they do, you know, they look increasingly like what they are, which is people without long-term plans coming in and maybe getting it right. And I think, you know, Allardyce couldn't do it at West Brom. And I also don't think there are many of them even around anymore. Are they? I mean, Allardyce sort of, they're like dinosaurs, aren't they? Like walking the earth. Mm. Like, you know, like the names you're talking about, like Pardew, you know, they're, you know, Allardyce, they're like huge. They're like these sort of like, they're, you know, to use that old thing I used to say about Gordon Brown, he's in, yeah, these are analogue men for a digital age. And I think they're, they're not the answer. And I, because I don't even think they keep you in the league anymore. No, think, well, yeah, I mean, I guess Allardyce failed on that, that part, didn't he? And Mark Hughes, whilst he kept us up, he, you know, Swansea got relegated with him as their manager for most of the season. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? I think, and also, I think that that sort of appointment, you have to make it at a certain time, don't you? You probably make it in February when you've got X number of games to win, and it's just like it's just like a last throw of the dice, isn't it? Yeah, it seems early, or you do a new manager in the what was it, the November international. Yeah. You know, that's the, what your teams have generally done. So, so make think, your long-term appointment in November and yeah. your short-term firefighter February, March time when things are desperate. But I mean, if we look at the league, and this is, you know, if we try and find reasons to be cheerful, let's try and find reasons to be cheerful. Um, uh, we've got a great set of fullbacks. Um, we've got a really exciting centre-back in Salisu. We've got a couple of what look like pretty decent backups. Um, we've got a couple of forwards that could come alive, you know, that, that have the potential to come alive and, and score a hat full of goals. Redmond's looking good. We've always got Ward Prowse. Romeo is consistent. And so it's not all doom and gloom. And, you know, let's look at it. If you look at the table, where we are, we're 15th, thanks to Leeds getting absolutely spannered tonight by Man City. Um, but two wins could quite comfortably see us, you know, by next Sunday, by Sunday, two wins could see us up to 10th 
I mean, that's a big if, isn't it? Because you're asking us to beat Palace and Brentford, which I say is a big if. I, I guess that's the that's the other frustration here, Tom, is that normally as a Saints fan, you go, oh yeah, Palace, Brentford, that's yeah, really good chance of getting six points there. Two wins in a row. But I'm just not feeling it at the moment. No. And I think the part of the problem is we're in a bit of a death. We seem to be in like a, we're in a bit of a death spiral. But it's a really slow one, be. isn't it? But we shouldn't be, because I, I think whilst the way which we threw the points away against Brighton was insane, Brighton are a good team. And, you know, they came back, from, they, they equalised in like the 95th minute with 10 men against West Ham. You know, they're a good, good team. And Leicester are a really good team. And we played well, like you say, we took the lead twice. We lost to Liverpool. We're always going to lose to Liverpool. Everyone's going to lose to Liverpool. Yes, we lost against Norwich. That's the disappointing one. But... And we lost away at Arsenal, which we always lose very much away at Arsenal. So even if, like, you know, and we are, you know, as, as, as miserable as Southampton fans are, we actually, in that run of games, like, where did we think we were going to get points? Well, we probably thought we were going to, the only one we thought we would win that we didn't win was probably Norwich. And they, you know, they did the right thing. They replaced the manager with Dean Smith and he got on the win. Mm-hmm. But also we let in two terrible goals I mean that was McCarthy wasn't it at his worst you know so it I don't think I don't think things are as bad right now as they could be I think the problem is is in four games time things could look very 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 bad indeed so Tom are we sort of setting ourselves up here I think for a let's hold tight grip the car um, and see what happens over the next few games. And regroup next week. Yeah. Okay. I think that sounds good. Up and coming fixtures. So we've got Palace this week. Most of you will probably know the result of that before you listen to this. Brentford at home. Then we've got a run of fixtures. West Ham, Spurs and Newcastle take us up to the 2nd of January. So it's West Ham, Spurs and Newcastle over that Christmas New Year period. I mean, it's really essential. If we get two results, Palace and Brentford, Christmas is an interesting time. You can have weird results over that Mm -hmm. period of time. But going into that with a bit of confidence, you know, we could potentially get a result against West Ham or Spurs. I mean, what West Ham have done is remarkable, really, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Um, but even they're having a bit of a wobble. Um, we drew nil-nil against them. Spurs, you know, erratic. It's fair to say at the moment. But I, I think part of the problem is, is we're not. Once we got three wins in a, in a good run of form, we're still not really winning the games we should win. We're losing the games you think you're going to lose, and then drawing or losing the games you think we're going to win. Um, and and that is a real you know that's we're we're just we need to we need to pick up more points and these two games Palace away Brentford at home difficult games but these are teams in and around us in the league they're better than us but they're only three or four points ahead of us so you know that that for me is kind of you know sixteen games into the season Brentford four points ahead of us Palace three points ahead of us that's kind of within the margin of error isn't it yeah. So there's no other reason to think we can't, you know. In a weird world, Saints might pick up six points and then all of a sudden we're like, we're booking trips to Europe, John. <laughs> Let's hope so. 
Um, okay, well, I think we should uh, probably wrap up the podcast here, Tom. Um, listeners, you might be wondering, are we going to come back again? I, I I quite fancy it. I mean, let's see. Let's see what Saints do to us over the, the course of the remaining week, and we'll see if we can fancy regrouping and talking about it again. Um, thank you very much for those of you that have emailed us during our hiatus. Um, it's appreciated that you've been thinking about us and getting in contact. Uh, if you do want to get in contact for the next podcast or let us know uh, how it felt hearing our voices once again, um, you can email us saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com. Tom, I mean, outside of Saints, what's the most remarkable thing that's that's happened for you in the last like nine, ten months since we last recorded? Uh, well, I was a dad when we last recorded. Um Still a still dad. dad, still a dad, and that's the most remarkable thing because uh, um, you know we talk a lot about how much football boys and 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 you know how they let us down and they're annoying. But uh, having a child um, gives you absolutely complete a sense of perspective that football is just nonsense. I, I do feel see like my eldest now he's seven years old, so he goes to like football practice on a Monday night, and I sort of look at him out there you know, proudly wearing his Saints shirt amongst the, you know, Liverpool, Chelsea shirts, Barcelona shirts. And I just think, ah, oh, poor guy. He doesn't know what I'm setting him up for here, does he? Uh, you've cursed him, like the mark of Cain <laughs> um, upon him. But yeah, but look, it's kind of, he, yeah, he doesn't have a choice. Yeah. I, I mean, also, I've got to say, I really enjoyed football in the summer. I was, I was lucky enough to go to two games yeah. at Wembley. The what game, two games so, so there's England Germany, which was just amazing. Um, my dad gave me an incredible hug after that game. I think it was sort of, you know, he's old enough to remember when England won the World Cup in 1966, and he's lived through every England loss in a major tournament to Germany between then and this summer. So that was that was fantastic to witness that. Um, and then also one of the funny points in that was the guys standing next to us sort of like tumbling down three rows of seats after the Thomas Muller miss. Oh God, that miss was great, wasn't yeah. it? Like if he stopped, you'd bet your life he was going to score. Like everything, he was like definitely going to score, definitely going to score. Oh. Yeah. And I was there for the final as well. And I had such a good view of the penalty shootout. I mean, we were right, right up in the top tier, but we we're basically level with the goal line. And then, like many people who went to Wembley, um, I caught COVID from that final. And also, that you know what the other thing that's weird is, like in the press, they're saying, "Oh yeah, you know, like a few hundred people broke in, or maybe a thousand. Wembley Stadium that night, I think, had more than the capacity of the stadium in there. It was really mad. There were more people. So, so bearing in mind, it was supposed to be two thirds full. There were more people in our row and all the rows around us than there were seats. And the um, the guy next to my brother admitted to him that he managed to get in with a screenshot of someone else's ticket. God. And that's UEFA's ticketing system. So I know the FA and the police are having a look and the stewards weren't good enough and all that. But also, I mean, that's a fundamental error. If someone can screen grab their ticket, share it with yeah. their mates on WhatsApp, and they can get in with a screen grab of the ticket. That's embarrassing, isn't it? But I mean, it, you know, it was it was pretty amazing atmosphere in there, and uh, it was a privilege to be there, even though we lost. But yeah, in my sort of fevered COVID dreams, which I had afterwards, you know, spent a few days in bed, um, 
Oh, yeah, that Marcus Rashford penalty who just kept on playing over in my head for some reason. That's what, that's what my brain decided to present to me hundreds and hundreds of times over on repeat whilst I had COVID. Yes, and no one wants that. No. Um, but look, you can get a whole new strain of COVID now, John, so that's the to look forward to. <laughs> uh, right, anyway, well, yeah, listeners, I- thank you very much for sticking with us. Um and well done if you've managed to find this podcast because you probably think we're not putting it out and you might be listening to this like several months in the in in the future and you know the answer to all the questions that we've discussed on this podcast but um i'll I'll try and tell some people about it and hopefully uh hopefully you've enjoyed listening and hopefully we'll see you again quite soon see you soon cheers tom cheers john bye oh i've got to press the outro stuff now haven't i